good to have you guys here this morning. It's good to be here with you. It's good to worship together this morning. Um, I hope that the Holy Spirit uh, has been able to minister to you this morning um, through, through song and through testimonies and uh, through fellowship, through being together. Um, we really kind of come here each and every week to, first and foremost, to worship God. Uh, but also to be encouraged in the Lord, you know, to be encouraged by one another, you know, to be encouraged through singing, to be encouraged through lifting God's name up, praising God, exalting God, loving God. And, um, you know, that, that is something that is so unique. You know, there's so many things happening on Sunday mornings today in our culture. Uh, Sunday used to be kind of a day of rest, but now it's a day of activity for our culture. And, um, but uh, as we gather together and as we come here before God this morning, um, you know, maybe in the vein of what we've been kind of sharing this morning, I want to encourage you to, to rest in him this morning, to find contentment in him this morning. You know, to find peace with God this morning. And um, those are the beautiful benefits of the Christian life. And uh, a heart that is seeking God is we get to know God because he's revealed himself to us. And so he reveals himself, you know, all the time. He reveals himself, you know, in our moments, in our day-to-day, in our struggles, in our triumphs, in our... And in, in when things are going well, and then when things aren't going well, you know, as Lori was sharing there a moment ago, and as Casey shared too about posturing yourself before the Lord, I'm thinking about, you know, um, the reality that, that we, we don't necessarily have everything we desire, and life doesn't always go exactly how we plan, right? But as Lori shared, I think it's so interesting, but what if we did have everything we in our own flesh desired? What if everything went perfectly as Lori said, or as whatever? What if, what if everything, never, no, nothing ever went wrong? Um, how, how would you actually depend on God for anything? If everything was just provided in accord with what you desire, you know? I was just thinking about that this morning. Something to reflect on as we traverse through life and as we come up through circumstances and, 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 and our days and our times that we map out don't necessarily go according to plan, but, they, but, they, but things happen in life. And, 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 and if we are going to be dependent on God, uh, we have to be able to um, struggle through in the midst of you know, our plans and our purposes not being fulfilled and not being, um, not being done. So it, it's just a, a subtle reminder to me this morning about, about the reality of life and how the reality of life really propels us to believe in God. Now, I don't know how I would get through if I didn't believe. I don't know how I would live through life if I didn't have Christ. I mean, I remember that vaguely in my former life, but I just don't know. And when we come this morning, it's, it's a powerful 
reality that we step into as the corporate body of Christ of, of how much God loves us. Amen. Yes. And really how, you know, the, the, the sort of the value of what he has provided for each one of us. And there is a ferociousness about how he loves you and me. And we see that each day, you know, as we live life with him and as he ministers to our needs and he gives us comfort in those moments where, we, where there's lack. Um, so I don't know. I, just, I don't know if that helps anybody this morning and encourages anyone this morning um, about the nature of our God and, and, and how he performs all things and accomplishes all things for his glory, but we get to be the benefit of his goodness, you know? It's just rich, it's just good stuff. So thank you guys for sharing those this morning. Wonderful testimonies. Um, I find it so encouraging when people can come up here and share their stories about life uh, because there's something in those that resonates with each one of us differently than any other part of the service. So thank you guys for, um, for coming and sharing this morning. Um, and I also want to extend the invitation. If, if anyone has thing, something to share on a Sunday morning, you know, I want to encourage you to, to think about sharing that. You know? um, our time together is made up of many components, and one of those wonderful components is being able to hear what's going on in each other's lives. And, and sometimes those public declarations really hit something in our hearts that maybe something else in the service just doesn't. And so I want to encourage you, you know, uh, if you have something to share one Sunday, um, really consider going to God and asking him, is this something for the corporate body? Is this something that the body needs to hear um, in order to edify and build up and encourage one another? So just throwing that out there uh, for any of you guys who feel so brave to do that. Uh, going forward. So, so let's pray this morning um, as we continue our series uh, in the Holy Spirit, in the study of the Holy Spirit this morning. I want to pray uh, for our time together as we dive in and as we kind of plumb the depths of the riches of, of God and all he is and all he has revealed himself to be through his word. So Father, we, we thank you for this time. Lord God, we come humbly before you. Uh, knowing that without your leading and without your guiding and without your teaching us by the Spirit, that these things that we read, are, are, we are incapable of understanding them in our own capacity. God, that we, you have given us an ability through the Spirit that lives and dwells in us to understand and to know and to love you. And so, God, I pray that you would gift us with wisdom this morning. God, that by your grace, Lord, we would understand the knowledge of who you are. And God, that we would grow in knowledge and grow in understanding and grow in wisdom as we dive in and as we grasp the goodness of who you are through your word. God, I pray that you would give us just a desire and an appetite, Lord God, for truth. God, in a world that is, that is constantly redefining truth and constantly setting their own parameters for what is true and what isn't and looks to themselves to measure the truthfulness of anything. 
God, we as your people, we stand in truth that lives outside of us. We stand in the truth of the gospel that, that is not determined by our feelings or our opinions or anything like that, God. But we stand in your truth in a world that doesn't love the truth and doesn't know the truth and makes up the truth uh, uh, with, in regard to their own kind of commitments and, and, and opinions, Lord God. We come before you and say, Lord, show us the truth of who you are. Show us the truth of who you are and show us the truth of everything that we see around us. Because God, your word is sufficient and authoritative to give us understanding about every matter of life. So Lord, I thank you for that this morning as we dive in in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, well, your homework assignment for last week was John 16. So I don't know how many people... How many people had their, their dog eat their homework this, this Sunday morning? But your homework was for John 16. If you guys read it, I'm glad you did. Um, if you didn't, hey, you get to read it right now with us. So that's good too. Uh, so turn with me to John chapter 16. Um, as you guys know, we, we started with this idea regarding the personhood or the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we transitioned last week into kind of a new phase where we were talking about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've been talking predominantly about the person of the Holy Spirit, his will, his mind, his affections. And, and last week, we really dived into this idea of purpose. And really, the question that we were asking was this, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming? What is the purpose of him indwelling the believer? What is the purpose of his performance and the work that he does? Why does he do what he does? Why does he do what he does? And so we kind of defined purpose last week, or I, I kind of defined it. This was kind of like my own working definition. Like I said, it's not Webster, it's not Oxford, you know, it's not highbrow. You know, this is just kind of came out of my own head, so take it for what it is. Um, so we looked at the driving force or motivating cause, which determines the course and action of activity. That's how we described sort of the purpose of anything, right? We have a purpose both daily and then long-term for our lives. But really to grasp this understanding and purpose of the Holy Spirit, we must appeal to divine truth, is what I just said a moment ago. We have to deal with divine truth, that we're not going to be at liberty to determine the purposes of the Holy Spirit and why he does what he does. That is not our job. And we have to appeal to divine truth. Why? Because divine truth is authoritative. The word of God, the scriptures are authoritative in this way, that they give the final word on every matter of life. It is authoritative because it is reliable. It is verifiable. And it's sourced in God, not in men or culture. The word of God does not change unlike culture. The word of God does not change unlike our own desires. It does not change like our own opinions. So we must appeal to God's word to understand this because it's authoritative. But we also have to appeal to it because it's sufficient. In other words, it's thorough. It's without lack. It lacks no deficiencies. It's, there's, and there's nothing that needs to be added to the word of God to understand the purposes of the Holy Spirit. We do not need to go to any other source 
outside of the word of God to understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, we don't need to listen to anything else, any other opinion, any other teaching that doesn't align with the word of God about the purposes of the Holy Spirit. So discernment regarding the purposes of the Holy Spirit begins, ends, and finds its substance in the word of God, in the scriptures. So let's turn to John this morning, John chapter 16. I want us to see this first uh, before we, we, we read the passage. As we know, last week we talked about this. We kind of gave an overview of, of, uh, of John and, and, and in general the gospel of John. And then we really looked at sort of more focused in on uh, these sort of chapters that surround chapter 16. We looked at chapter 13 and 14 for a moment in chapter 15, and I kind of, kind of give you like a, a landscape, a, con, a context for what we're reading and why we're reading it. And last week we talked about this for a moment, momentarily. We said these, these passages, these, these 13 through 17 passages that John is writing, these are sort of the final words of, of Christ for his disciples. And, and, it, and it takes place in a few hours, and he, he talks a lot about a lot of different things. But the main reason in which, the reason why Jesus is having these conversations with his apostles is to encourage them and to prepare them for him leaving. They were not going to be, he was not going to be around anymore. And their life was going to be turned upside down. And, and the way they probably thought their life was going to go was not the way it was going to go. If you think about what we were talking about this morning about how life kind of throws dips and turns and curves and unpredictable things, right? We, we, we don't know what's around the corner most of the time. And it was so for the disciples. They had no idea about what was going to take place after Jesus left. They had no understanding probably of, of the persecution and the attack that they were going to experience. They, they had no idea about uh, the uproar that was going to take place at the death of Christ and what it was going to produce. And so Jesus, understanding this, begins to prepare them for life after him. So in, verse, in chapter 13, we see him washing their feet. In announcing his departure, in chapter 14, he promises his return. In chapter 14, he mentions the Holy Spirit really for the very first time and gives us a glimpse of what the Holy Spirit was going to do. Chapter 15, he looks at the relationship between us and him. He looks in the vine. He looks at the relationship between us and one another, how we are to love one another. And then he looks at our relationship between us and the world. The world's not going to love you. The world's going to reject you because the world has rejected me. And then we moved into John's thesis statement in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, which really kind of encapsulates what we're going to talk about this morning regarding what Jesus' words are about the Holy Spirit. John's singular purpose in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, is to bring attention, a white-hot spotlight, to Christ. And it reveals the purpose of of John's work, of John's reading. This is what he says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. What is the purpose of the Gospel of John? It is to display Christ. Why? In order that we would respond in faith to believe and have life. And this really is kind of dovetailing with the words of Christ in John chapter 16 regarding the Holy Spirit and what the work of the Spirit, it is, in, in every way, it is the same thing. 
And I know this may challenge maybe some of your ideas about the Holy Spirit. It may challenge some of your ideas about the work of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. But here's where we have to bend the knee and we have to be hemmed in by the truth. And what God has said and more specifically what Christ has said about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to start in verse 1. Chapter 16, verse 1 says this. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Here's the reason why Jesus just went through 13 and 14 and 15. He said, I'm saying all of these things to you for a reason, that you would not fall away, that you would remain in me, that when times got tough, when situations got hairy, when, when maybe your life is at risk, that you would not fall away, but you would remain in me. You would remain and your belief would be in me. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things which they have not known, the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you. Here we go again. That when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But I'm leaving. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where you are going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, meaning Satan. I still have many things to say to you, and here is this sort of the, uh, really the impetus of our text this morning. I still have many things to say to you, verse 12, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And that is the word of God for this morning. I want you to take notice of a couple things. How many times Jesus says about the work and the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and he frames this uh, action through speaking. Look at what he says. I still have many things to say to you. Verse 13. But when the Spirit comes, he will speak. What he hears, he will speak. For he will take what is mine and declare. So here we have saying and speaking and declaring. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the, the, the kind of the, 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 uh, the work of the Spirit is really about, God, about God speaking, about the Holy Spirit speaking uh, to the disciples primarily, and then, and then through them speaking to us. Uh, through the words that, that God has given them or that Jesus has given them through the Spirit. I want you to also take notice of these words, all. We see that word, all, 
many times in the text. In other words, what the Spirit is going to speak about Christ is sufficient. What the Spirit is going to declare and reveal is all the truth, which means it's thorough, it's expansive, it is inclusive. In other words, the Holy Spirit's not leaving anything out, and he's not revealing something that wants to be revealed later. But he has given us, and he has led us into all the truth. And that's how we're going to look at that this morning. But I want you to kind of take note of these two things here. Um, so I want to stay here in verse 12 for a moment. This really is Jesus' seminal teaching on the Holy Spirit. This is where he gives us the most information. This is where he gives us the most revelation. This is where he shows us in direct terms who the Holy Spirit is and what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. So there are some things that the Holy Spirit does, but embedded in this whole conversation, this whole discourse, is the purpose. And uh, we're going to get to that. But in verse 12, he says this, I still have many things to say to you. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, is, hey guys, what I've shared with you, I'm not done sharing. What I've spoken to you, what I've commanded you, what I've taught you, I'm not done yet. I still have more to say to you, even though I'm leaving. So there was still something to communicate regarding the truth of who Christ was. He was... He was the, the nature of his, uh, of his accomplishments and the implications of those accomplishments are going to be further spelled out for you. I still have more to communicate to you. I have more that I want to say. But he says, but you cannot handle it right now. You don't have the capacity to understand this at this moment. But there's coming a moment where I'm going to be able to share more with you regarding who I am, what I've done, and what that means both for you and for the world. So considering the circumstances that the apostles found themselves in, it was fitting that Christ would withhold revelation from them until the proper time. They were struggling. They were trying to figure out what's going on here. Why is he talking about leaving? And where is he going? What's the future? Where do we go from here? I'm sure there was confusion about their own life, what they are to do, how they are to respond. And Jesus said, because of this moment, because of this situation, because of where you guys find yourself, it's better for me to wait to tell you those things till later. But I have more to tell you. Verse 13 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. Here we have an action, what the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit supplies sufficient and exhaustive revelation for us. He guides the apostles into the sense of the truth concerning Christ. So when, when Jesus leaves, remember, the scriptures are not written. The scriptures are written 30 years after, sometimes even longer, from when Jesus went to the cross and died and resurrected. So we have nothing regarding the word of God at the point of Jesus' death. 
But here's the promise to the apostles. He says, I'm going to guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit's going to guide you. I'm going to lead, and he's going to come, and he's going to guide you into all the truth. He's going to be like this word is like a conductor. If you think about a conductor in an orchestra who is leading every part of the orchestra, and the orchestra is trying to play the song in the truest sense of what the song means and how it's performed. And without the conductor, everyone is going to have their own take on how to play the song. Everyone's going to have their own kind of version of the song. Maybe you're not keeping in time. Maybe the trombones or the trumpets come in at a different point than they should. Right? So the song is not going to be played in the manner in which it was supposed to be without that conductor. Equally so, when the Holy Spirit comes and guides, him as a conductor guides us and leads us into the understanding of the truth. So that we're not being guided by ourselves. We're not being guided by our feelings, our circumstances, our situations. But we are guided into the truth by the Holy Spirit, who's the conductor, who gives us the understanding of what the word of God means and what the truth of Christ and the gospel means. So he is responsible. The Holy Spirit is responsible for supplying the revelation, the truth, and broadly, in a sense, he, he guides us into that truth. Narrowly, he gives the apostles the, the revealed word to write for us so that when we come to the word of God, we can understand God. We can know the thoughts of God. We understand the mind of God. When we see the scriptures, and we understand that God, or Christ through the Spirit, has given revelation to the apostles to give us what we have. So he leads us to the truth, which is in Christ. And he's not holding anything back. The Holy Spirit leads you into all the truth. In other words, guys, there's no secrets to be added. There's no additional secrets that need to be unearthed or supplied. So be careful when someone comes and says, I have a new teaching, one that's never been heard before, one that's never been discovered before. I've looked into the text and, and I've got this brand new teaching that you've never heard. Be careful. Be careful because God has given us the fullness, the completeness of the truth of who Christ is through the Spirit of God who reveals it to the apostles and to us. He is in him the truth. Jesus, or Paul says this about uh, this idea in Ephesians chapter 4, 21. You don't have to turn there, but I want to turn there for you and read it for you. This is what he says about Christ. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Christ. And so the Holy Spirit leads us into that truth concerning Christ. Verse 13 says this, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Think about this for a moment. So the Holy Spirit, when he speaks, when he reveals the truth, he does not speak on his own authority. Interestingly enough, that's an interesting statement. 
considering the Holy Spirit is God. How is the Holy Spirit God, yet does not act on his own authority? What authority does the Holy Spirit act under if it is not God's authority? Ever thought of that? I mean, these are the words from Christ. This is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, he will not act on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Whatever he hears, he will speak. So, in other words, this is how we have to understand, I think, this text. That the Holy Spirit will not undermine his Trinitarian union. In other words, there is not one authority that has been given to the Holy Spirit, and there is not one authority that's been given to Christ, and there's not one authority that's been given to the Father, right? But the authority of God exists in the Godhead. So everything the Holy Spirit does, everything the Holy Spirit speaks, he speaks not on his own authority, but on the authority that he possesses in the Godhead, in the Trinity, that he's not acting alone. He's not acting uh, in a way that is uh, subordinate to Christ, right? He's not acting in these ways. He speaks with one accord with the Father and with Christ. And his authority is not separate or divided, but they are all existent equally with God in the Holy Spirit, in the Son, and in the Father. There's not one authority that's split up into three parts. That's not what we're talking about. It is the authority of God in its fullness being displayed and shown in the Holy Spirit, in Christ, and in the Father without separation or without division. So it is equally amongst all three in the Godhead. This is what this also means, guys, that he will never contradict nor misrepresent the will of Christ. The Holy Spirit cannot contradict God. The Holy Spirit cannot contradict his truth. He cannot go against it. He's not some rogue vigilante reacting exclusively on his own impulses. He's not acting insubordinately. He has no separate interest. He has no other interest or intention but to reveal the truth of Christ for you. He does not initiate any new doctrine or any new teaching or any new direction. He is continually pointing to the truth that is in Christ, as Paul says in Galatians. So anytime you may hear a teaching that's contradictory to the teaching of Christ or the teaching of the word, you have to test that and say, is this from the Spirit? Because I don't see how that is substantiated by the truth. So we have to be really careful. We have to discern. We have to test. Why? Because God, through the Holy Spirit, is leading us into all the truth regarding Christ. And he's not going to lead us anywhere else. Verse 13, he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit reveals what will come as a result of Christ's atoning work on the cross for us. The Holy Spirit reveals 
that which has been done for us in Christ. He will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, there's some disagreement about this text, about this passage, and we've got to handle it with care. Uh, we have to understand it within the context of the, of, of the larger passage. Uh, I don't really think this is referring to the Holy Spirit just telling the future generally. Uh, I don't see anything in the text that kind of that kind of points us in that direction. Um, he does declare the things that are to come. He does prophesy. He does tell us in, in large part or in bits what the future is. But the primary role of the Holy Spirit is actually not to tell us the future. And we can see that from the New Testament. I mean, we have an apocalyptic work, you know, uh, uh, a prophetic work in John in, John in Revelation where, where the Holy Spirit reveals to John the end and the coming of Christ and the revelation of Christ and how that's all going to come down. But the primary, the primary job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the truth of Christ. And, and, and that does include how everything comes to an end in, the, in Revelation, right? But the, 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 the large swath of, of the New Testament Right is about revealing the truth and, and expounding on and explaining to the apostles for our benefit the, the intricacies and the nuances of what Christ has done in the gospel. And so we have to understand this within the context of the passage. That it's, he, he's not just basically saying, ah, he's just going to tell you the future. He's just going to tell you what's going what, to happen in your life. No, that's not really what he's referring to here. But really what he's doing, and I, I think this is where, this is kind of how we are to understand this text, is that what Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit's going to unpack, right, with greater clarity the achievements of the gospel. He's going to show us in, in more specific ways, with more precision, what, what Christ has done and how it, how it, uh, what its implications on your life are. I think that's kind of more where, if you look at the context of it, that's kind of probably more where, where Christ is going here, I think. Um, but it is that we are to understand the gospel. And, and not only that, we are to understand our responsibility to conduct our lives in a way that reflects the love of Christ that has been given to us through the gospel. So really what he's saying here is, is I'm going to lead you and I'm going to show you what is to come. Now, possibly it could be that, you know, here are some, you know, here are some, you know, options that we could consider. Who would have understood the Gentiles being grafted into salvation, right? Up until that point, salvation really came through uh, with God through the nation of Israel. That if you were to be saved, you were to, to, to um, if, salvation came from him. So it was about keeping the law and it was about, you know, being, uh, being um, sort of part of the, the nation and the people group of Israel. And it was all about really, you know, who you were born into and what you were born into. And, and this sort of was kind of the prerequisite for salvation. At least in the eyes of Israel, that's what they thought, even though really it wasn't. It was by faith always, as Abraham had faith in God. But, but who was to understand, or who could understand how Gentiles, me and you, if you're not Jewish, how you are grafted into the plan of God, how you're grafted into the love of God, and grafted into the salvation that God has to offer. No one was, was, was able to really grasp that concept when Jesus was still here. But what does the Holy Spirit do through the Apostle Paul? He shows Paul how it is that through the death of Christ, Gentiles like you and me are grafted into the salvation purposes of God. 
So maybe this is one of the ways in which Jesus is saying, hey, he's going to show you what's to come. He's going to tell you what's to come. He's going to explain to you further about what it is and how it is that I do what I do. Maybe it's the idea of salvation through faith. Maybe it's that, that through the Holy Spirit, understanding that, that, that your faith in Christ or your salvation in Christ is dependent simply by believing, not by your work. So often it was about, you know, like we've talked about in the past, spiritual methods and works and, and practices that saved you. But, but how is it that people can understand that it is by the grace of God through the blood of Christ that you're saved solely? That was definitely something that came after Christ had left. Or maybe it's the persecution that they were to face and how to handle that and react to that. Whatever the case may be, we know this, that when the Holy Spirit declares the things that are to come, they find their substance in Christ. And here comes the seminal passage, verse 14. He will glorify me. Ooh. He will glorify me. See, here we have a bunch of actions. We see he's going to say, more to you. He's going to lead you in the truth. He's going to declare to you the things that are to come. These are all things that the Holy Spirit performs. But what's the purpose? Here it is in verse 14. The purpose is to glorify Christ. That is the purpose. He will glorify me. So this is the chief end of the Holy Spirit's work. When you're thinking about the work that God does in you through the power of the Spirit... We must understand it through this lens. We must understand it through this context that everything that God does and performs in your life is for the sole purpose, the primary purpose, the priority is to glorify Christ. To glorify Christ in you. That is the chief end of the Holy Spirit's work. It is not only the desired result, right? Glorifying Christ is the result of our lives, but it's the motivating cause. The Holy Spirit in his will wants to glorify Christ. So it's his desire and it's his cause and it's what he wants to perform. It is not in accord with our best interests. The Holy Spirit doesn't work primarily to achieve our best interests, like we said last week. It doesn't, he doesn't work primarily to achieve our comfortability. He doesn't primarily work based on our value. He doesn't primarily work just to be uh, self-improving. Even though our goal is to be more Christ-like, the glory of Christ is what the Holy Spirit is after. I want you to think about glorify for a minute. Glorifying Christ. If I were to ask you that question, what does it mean to glorify Christ? Do you have an idea of what that is? Like the term to glorify. If something is glorified, what does that mean? Okay, that's action though. That's action. 
that's tied to glorifying Christ. But what does it mean for something to be glorified? Ooh, okay, now we're on to something. Yeah. Yep, Mora. Okay, to shine. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Del. Good, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so when we think about glorifying Christ, when we think about something that's glorified or there's something that has glory to it, it means to, like we said, esteem or honor or praise. But it's really tied to this idea of the uniqueness of God. Like what Casey said, the uniqueness of God. It is to draw attention to his distinctness. It is to, to show his, his unmatched character. It is to see and to uh, revel in his, his knowledge, his power, his work, his holiness. It is to show God for God as he is who he is alone. And so our actions try to reciprocate, or not reciprocate, but our actions try to um, demonstrate this reality of God being unique, distinct, set apart, different from anything else. So everything that we do in our lives to glorify God, it is done in action, but it's really to communicate this idea of who God really is. So when we glorify God, it is to show his knowledge, his power, his character, his holiness, his work in your life. And this is what the Holy Spirit is after. So the purpose of the Spirit's work is found in the centrality of Christ. The Spirit's highest priority, which motivates his work, is the elevating of Christ. And let me just say that that is also my desire and my goal when I come up here to speak in terms and to present to you concepts and ideas about how elevated and glorious God is. To, to, to raise him up and to exalt him and to put him up there for everyone to see. And to show him somehow, some way, in my limited ability, to show you how beautiful and how valuable and how precious God is. And how beautiful he is and how beautiful the work of Christ is and the gospel is and, and the power of the Holy Spirit coming and sanctifying and changing and, and changing lives and transforming us. That is really, I am just, that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to just kind of come under the Spirit's work that I know he's doing. He is trying to point everything and bring glory to Christ so that men would believe, as John says in his gospel. Yes, yes. The Spirit's highest priority is this, and it's to draw all attention to him and his divine accomplishments so that men would Believe. This has got to be the undergirding premise of everything that we believe about the Holy Spirit. It must be the undergirding premise by which we test everything that we see that is attributed to the Holy Spirit. Important note, the Holy Spirit is not pointing you to Moses. 
I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but maybe you do. The Holy Spirit is not pointing you to Abraham. The Holy Spirit is not pointing you to Elijah, Elisha. He's not pointing you to Paul. He's not pointing you to Peter. He's not pointing you to David. He's not pointing you to any of these people. The purpose of the work of the Spirit is not to glorify Moses or Elijah or David or any other biblical character. Therefore, we can conclude that the work of the Spirit is not to make us like Moses or like Abraham or like David or like Peter. The Holy Spirit's job is to point you to Christ. And if he doesn't point you to Christ, if you hear anything that's pointing you to somebody else and saying you need to be like them, then we have a problem. Because the Holy Spirit is not calling you to be like any biblical character. The Holy Spirit is calling you to be like Christ. Okay? It's really important. Now, can we draw principles from the characters and the stories of people in the Bible and the characters? Absolutely, no question. We can draw principles from that. But, but, but it has just gone too far. It has just gone too far. And there is an obsession in the church with trying to get you to believe that you're like this other person in the Bible. I'm sorry, but that's not the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit is, like I said, is to point you to Christ. And if you're being pointed to some of the character, ultimately what's happening is, is you're just getting pointed back to you. If the teaching just tries to get you to see who you are by pointing you to another character, then actually what is not taking place is, is they're not pointing you to Christ. They're actually pointing you to you. So be careful. David points to Christ. Moses points to Christ. Abraham points to Christ. Elijah points to Christ. All of it points to him. And that's the job of the Spirit, is to point you to him. So that is the goal. That is the purpose. And then we find our last text here in, chapter, in verse 15. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So this is again another action that is connected with the purpose of the Holy Spirit, which is to glorify Christ. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ by making known and applying to us every spiritual benefit that we have been given in Christ. So in other words, to think about this in a different way. All that Christ has purchased is his. All that Christ has accomplished is his. And he gives it to you. Watch what he says. All that the Father has is mine. What's that? All. You're led into all the truth. And all that the Father has is mine. All that is within him. All that he has. All that he owns is yours. There isn't one spiritual benefit that you are disqualified for or disqualified from if you have put your faith in Christ and believe. 
Every spiritual benefit is yours. All that's in the Father is Jesus's. All that is in Christ will be declared to you by the Holy Spirit. So Christ has paid for my salvation. Christ has achieved my redemption. Christ has secured my deliverance and you as well. His death has forgiven me. His death has cleansed me. He has justified me before God. He has adopted me into his family. These are all dynamics that are revealed to the apostles with greater clarity and specificity. That is essentially what Jesus is saying. He's saying, all that is within me, all that I have accomplished, all that is mine and I possess, I give to you. And you will know this. You will know this when the Holy Spirit comes and declares it to you. You may be saying to yourself, prove it. That's a nice assertion, Chad. Prove it. All right, let's go. I'm always going to appeal to the word of God to prove anything. So I'll prove it. 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. with eternal glory. That is yours. Salvation in Christ, he owns it, he gives it to you. Romans 3.24, these are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So your redemption that Christ owns, that is his, that comes from the Father, is now yours. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Your forgiveness is in Christ. He has won it. He has purchased it. It is his. And now he gladly and graciously gives it to you. But how are you to understand this? How are you to know this if it is not declared to you? Well, the Holy Spirit does that for us by giving it to the apostles as the apostles give it to us every day, every day. This is at your fingertips. Philippians 3, 9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. Where does your righteousness come from? Not from you or anything you've done, but through Christ. These are the things that he declares to you. It is for you to have. Romans 6.11 So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. How are you alive to God? In Christ. In Christ. You are alive to God. By his work and by his grace, you are alive. You have believed and now you live a life, as John says, believing and having life in Christ. Romans 8, 29. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. How do you understand and experience the love of God? How can you comprehend the love of God? Look to Christ. 
look to Christ. The Holy Spirit is declaring these things to you today by glorifying and exalting Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Paul starts his letter to the Corinthian church. You are sanctified in Christ. Galatians 3.26, this is it. For in Christ you are all sons of God through Christ and daughters of God through Christ. How is it that you know that you are a son or a daughter of God in Christ? Because the Holy Spirit has declared it to you. And you can read that every single day for your encouragement and for your comfort. This is how the Holy Spirit as Jesus says, takes what is mine and declares it to you. And everything that you hear, every impression you may have, every thought or affection you may have that you believe is sourced in the Holy Spirit living in you will always testify to what God has said in his revealed word. It will always come into alignment with the truth. And so the Holy Spirit is leading you into the truth. He is declaring to you the things that are to come. He's speaking not only on his authority, and he is also declaring everything to you that is Christ's, that is given to you by faith. That is what the Holy Spirit does. And that is why he does it. So three points of just application, super quick. Christ gives the Holy Spirit primarily to glorify himself. Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to glorify him. He is how he is with his believers in his absence. But secondarily, he strengthens the resolve of his people. You find strength in Christ through the Spirit as the Spirit glorifies Christ. Secondly, Christ assures you and me and his church that we're not alone. We're not alone. For his absence, he has sent in his spirit. You are not alone this morning. Christ is with you this morning. God is near to you this morning because Christ has decided to send his Holy Spirit for you, to comfort you, to encourage you to give you strength. And finally, we become the beneficiary of Christ sending his spirit for the spirit will work to exalt or to lift up the words and work of Christ. And here is the result so that all men will believe and have life. And so that begs the question, do you have life? Do you have life in God? Because it is the Holy Spirit that produces that life by pointing you and keeping your eyes fixed on the glory of Christ. And that is essentially, primarily, what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is for you and for me and for the church. And that's where we find our strength this morning. And that is where we find the truth this morning. So I just want to pray um, as we consider these thoughts 
as we consider these texts, as we consider this truth, that it would find a place in your heart, that it would take root in the soil of your spirit, and that God would begin to produce life in you, spiritual life, that he would do a spiritual work through the seed of truth, and that work would lead to life. Life in God, life in fullness, as we consider all that the Holy Spirit is doing, both in you and in this church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand this morning.